If Nate Danielson's available for the Sharks at 26, why they should be running to the podium to draft him with Ben Jordan of Smart Scouting. Your Locked On Sharks, your daily podcast on the San Jose Sharks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome to Locked On Sharks, the premier hockey podcast of your favorite team in the Bay Area. My name is J.D. Young, contributor at San Jose Hockey Now, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Sharks your first listen, uh, probably a part of the Locked On Network, where we cover your team every day. If you want to be an everydayer, all you got to do is just follow along wherever you get podcasts or subscribe on YouTube as well. So uh, Ben Jordan from Smart Scouting swings by to as we start to get closer and closer to the end of, of our uh, draft profiles. Uh, talk about one Nate Danielson, uh, a center uh, from in the WHL from uh, Brandon, uh, and why if the Sharks are if if he's available for the Sharks, they should be looking to try to draft a guy like him because he's a he's a big dude who can you know I think he's just really starting to kind of figure out his game and he feels very much like a Mike Greer type of player, but a skilled Mike Greer type type of player. So um, let's get into it with our friend Ben Jordan from Smart Scouting. And now we bring on Ben Jordan from Smart Scouting to profile one, Nate Danielson. Ben, how's it going, buddy? Going well. End of yeah. the end of the NHL season is near, which means it's draft time. Uh, by the so, time you're listening to this, this really season, fun time. Yeah, the season will probably be over as recording this as game five of Vegas. And I do not want to watch uh, Vegas lift the cup. So I'm doing the whole like, uh, <laughs> I, if I don't see it, it doesn't happen type of situation. I'm just lying to myself here. So uh, one person who probably doesn't lie to himself. I don't know. I, I would hope he doesn't lie to himself. Um, that's the worst transition I've done. Nate Danielson. So if you don't know who Nate Danielson is, he's a forward for uh, the Brandon Weekings in the WHL. Six foot one, 187 pounds, big boy. 68 games this year, he had 33 goals, 45 assists, 244 shots on goal. And Ben, I ask you, as I ask everybody, what makes Nate Danielson such an intriguing prospect? Yeah, I think in this class, um, in the 2023 class, across the board, not just within the CHL. Um, there's a lot of a lot of high upside. That's mm-hmm. kind of the name of the game is the high upside centers, especially at the top of the draft. Um, but with Danielson, I think the intriguing part is that I've really had a hard time coming across any any major flaws, which you see a lot of the time with these younger draft prospects that are only 17, 18 years old. Um, so with Danielson, you're not getting a super flashy, dynamic, offensive creator, but you're getting somebody who's uh, very cerebral, very high hockey IQ, engaged in, at both ends of the ice, um, and and someone that that's really not going to struggle in any one area. So I think that's kind of what what draws you to him. So if you're a team that that prefers kind of the safer play, um, this is the really high end high floor, um, kind of maybe lower ceiling, ceiling option. Okay. So, I mean, you, you talk about 
uh, he'd been a safe player. He's also one of the older players, right? He is born September 20, uh, 2004, 2024. Wow. Uh, September 2004. So he's one of the older players in the draft. And, you know, so you kind of feel like he should be much further along in his development compared to maybe some other players. But um, what about him makes him kind of that, that safe play with him? Is it, you know, just kind of his all around game? Like you're, you can just throw him over the board. You know exactly what you're going to get shift from shift type of player from him. Yeah, I think I think um, like kind of the safety really starts with the hockey IQ, and that that's evident at both ends, um, offensively and defensively. And I think when I'm projecting a safe player, a big thing that I look at is the transition to the pro ranks. Um, so I think I see a safe transition in that sense, where I don't see too many issues with him coming over as a younger player to the pros, not necessarily to the NHL, but playing pro hockey. Um, he's got the size and and he's got the hockey sense to keep up where maybe other guys lose a step with their skating, but Danielson makes that up with the hockey sense um, and, and the skating and the skating really isn't much of a drawback. Like I, I kind of mentioned earlier, there's no real one big flaw. He's just kind of really a, an awesome solid package. Uh, that, <laughs> that brings a lot of different uh, intangibles to the table. All right. So you mentioned the kind of the, I don't want to say low ceiling, but you, you feel like maybe he's closer to his ceiling than some other prospects, especially in this type of range. You know, um, a guy like Jaden Braun, who you, you, you project has a much higher ceiling, uh, but there's much, much more risk with him. So with a guy like Daniel, so what do you think is going to be his kind of, calling card what do you think he's going to be known for once he becomes like a you know a professional hockey player like ahl nhl is he going to be kind of a potential energy third line forward is he going to be kind of a middle six guy for you what, what do you kind of project him to be and kind of be able to kind of lean on going forward yeah i'd say like right now i'm seeing him kind of more as a higher higher end middle six player like just to I know in my past episodes I like to give kind of an, an NHL comparison so people have a sense like I see a lot of characteristics like Brock Nelson um just just kind of that higher end guy who gets to dangerous areas and you're kind of just like how the hell did he get open there and he's just <laughs> he, they just kind of fade in through the back and you don't really see him and they're right there they're Johnny on the spot and they're they're there to make a play and ready um similar to Brock Nelson I think the one area that he kind of loses the offensive hype and glamour um, is with his puck handling. There's his hands just aren't nearly as good as a lot of the other higher end centers like Will Smith and even Oliver Future Moore, Bedard, obviously <laughs> guys like that. Um, I think that's kind of where he loses the glamour is just the, the, the plays in tight, right. Where he, he's able to finagle a puck between guys skates under sticks and, and kind of plays like that. But he's so smart that mm -hmm. his, his production just, it just feeds off that. And and I honestly think if he was in a different situation outside of Brandon um, with maybe better finishers on his wings um, and, and better kind of supporting staff with him, that his assist total for sure, um, but maybe even goals and by, by that metric point total would, would be a lot higher um, than it was now. So give us, is is Brandon, I mean, I don't watch a ton. You know, I kind of keep up. I don't watch a ton. So what is it with Brandon? Is he kind of having to do a lot of this stuff by himself? Um, kind of like what's his situation at in, with Brandon in the WHL? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that he's kind of pressed to try and do more himself, but, but he does a really good job carrying the puck along the wall and through the neutral zone, which – 
just because of nature draws a lot of defenders to him. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where he's gotten his playmaking rep is that he draws so many guys to him that leaves other guys open. He's really good at finding them and they haven't put it in the back of the net. So I wouldn't say that he's necessarily tried to tailor his game to what's going on around him. But like, if you look at other situations, like another team in the Western hockey league, for example, Cam loops is loaded with, with weapons up and down the wing in the top six, uh, where if Danielson may have been playing with them, a couple more of those plays end up in the back of the net and, and the situation might look a little bit differently. So I wouldn't say he's necessarily tried to carry the mail himself, but um, yep. just based on the natural progression of junior hockey and roster turnover, um, Brandon's kind of suffered, <laughs> suffered in that, in that area. All right, before we finish up with Ben and we talk about Nate Danielson, kind of his fit in the prospect pool, uh, you know, his timeline, all that fun stuff, why he feels like a Mike Greer type of pick if he's there. Uh, do need to take a quick break. Talk to you guys about our friends over at eBay Motors. And you guys know for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with the eBay Guarantee Fit. You can be sure every part you need uh, fits right the first time around. Just add your car to the My Garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop on eBay Motors, it's going to be full of confidence. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guarantee fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, so you mean you mentioned the high floor and the kind of the low ceiling. So, what do you think is going to be maybe the one kind of skill he needs to really work on? I know you said he didn't have a lot of flaws, but what do you think is going to be the one thing he needs to continue to work on to develop as he progresses through his hockey career? Yeah, so so the one thing that I've noticed a lot is is with his shooting. So he does a really good job avoiding the kind of low danger shots and just the and and instead he really tries to push the envelope and get passes to high danger areas and get himself to high danger areas. So I think it just the decision-making, like it's just a, mm-hmm. the confidence thing, which, which I think will come the more he plays it, but it's that split second. He does a great job. He's like, okay, hey, I'm at the half wall right along the wall. I'm not just going to risk this on net just to get a shot and just cause, um, but instead I'm going to look to the middle and find a guy there and just getting rid of that kind of hesitancy right away and, and just being quicker. Uh, that'll only be amplified as he keeps going up the ranks and up yep. past junior hockey as the game gets quicker and he has less and less time. So I think just the decision-making um, aspect, especially in the def- offensive zone, but also um, in the defensive zone when he's not the main puck carrier, uh, when he's making a breakout pass just getting that off his stick quicker, the decision-making. And I think it stems from the confidence because you see him and he can do it. And the hockey IQ is really there and he sees the plays. Just got to make them. All right. So, I mean, when he goes, do you think he, he, when he finally makes the NHL, do you think he will be a center in the NHL or do you think he might be one of those guys that transitions to wing? Cause I mean, six foot one, pretty good, pretty good base to start with here. You said he doesn't have much kind of flaws in his game. Um, do you think he's going to be a potential second or third line center for a team? 
Yeah, totally. I think he's got the build, the build to be a center. I mean, the the anticipation is so good with him. Um, mm-hmm. Super quick stick, reading passes um, and reading off players. He's good in the faceoff circle. Um, the just the awareness, keeping his head on a swivel. Uh, the commitment to playing defense, which you don't see all the time. I know we we talked about Riley Height a little earlier on in the season, where I'm a little more skeptical about him as yep. a centerman going forward. But with Danielson, I think there's a solid foundation there to, for an NHL center. Yeah. So, I mean, assuming from all that, what we've heard, Sharks are probably going to be picking Will Smith at number four, right? Um, if they go Smith Danielson, if he's potentially there at 26, um, adding two potential C, how would you feel if you're a fan of a team and you walk away with Smith and Danielson as your first two picks in a draft? Oh, I'm a I'm a proponent of drafting and building down the middle, and the Sharks are at that stage where they're starting to rebuild and put put new pieces together. So I think coming away with with two, well, a high end center and a and a high end middle six center would be would be a great start. Uh, I mean, you win you win with building your back end and building down the middle, and a guy like Danielson is a guy that you win with. Um, mm-hmm. So I, if they were able to, I, I don't personally think um, Danielson will be there at 26. Um, I, I kind of see him more as like a late teen okay. uh, type option. That's kind of where I'm mocking him and projecting him maybe somewhere 15 through 18. Um, but if San Jose came away with those two players, that's, that's quite the start. Yeah. And then you pair that with, I said last season um, who, well, I think most of us, when that pick happened was like a little bit of a head scratcher, but uh, I think we're all kind of eating a little bit of humble pie this season after the season by said, uh, just mm-hmm. put up in the SHL and you're, you're starting to feel a lot better about the sharks down the center. So, um, and then Absolutely. if Bordelow, Bordelow turns into anything there, then you've, you kind of start to can, you can see the future at least for the for down the center. So, um, you mentioned, you know, kind of a Brock Nelson type of player. So where do you kind of like, I hate to put a number, what, what type of, point projections are we looking at once he kind of hits his peak and, you know, kind of hits his prime as a, as a player for, for Nate Danielson. Yeah. I think like at, at his peak kind of similar to Brock Nelson, it took him a little bit to kind of get there, especially with the goal scoring, like the the details and the defensive play were always there. And that's what keeps you in the NHL, right? Like not making the big glaring mistakes, but I think that honestly helps. um, Mm -hmm. And that kind of alleviates some of the pressure to produce. And you can kind of just fill into that slot naturally um, yep. as a producer and see where you fall. So I think maybe a little less goal scoring upside, similar similar point totals, a little bit better distributor for Danielson. So somewhere in the 20 to 25 goal range, 70 to 75 point range, I think, would, would be like if you had the optimistic outlook, then yep. you got a pretty good producing second line center. Um, so So somewhere in that range, I think, would be his peak. I mean, that kind of sounds a lot like Logan Couture, too. I mean, like, especially nowadays, you know, um, if you get basically Logan Couture's replacement um, that you're probably feeling really good about. And it sounds like, too, it's the way he scores goals. Is it kind of those greasy, like, I'm just bigger and better than the defenseman and type? Is that kind of his goal scoring or is he more of a kind of shoot from the outside or does he have a wide variety of, of goal scoring ability? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say he's kind of in the muck as a grinder. Like he he scores yeah. a lot of different ways. He's he's shown his skill at times this year. I think a big thing is just the tenacity and understanding like positioning. Like the mm-hmm. 
the biggest characteristic that you can lump a lot of his goals into are just like understanding stick position and understanding how to tie up opponent sticks as well to how to keep his stick free, which would yeah. just get him so many better opportunities in and around the net. So I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it's like physically, you know, beating his opponents and crashing yeah. the crease type <laughs> ordeal, but kind of like just like in the slot and between the dots, like he's really good at just finding pockets of space and getting his stick free um, when, when he's in goal scoring opportunities. So, all right. Um, where would he kind of fit, I guess, you know, uh, in the Sharks pipeline, right? We, we talked about Beastead, um, who, again, bit of a head scratch last year. We're all like, wow, Beastead's amazing. Um, you have Eklund. You're going to have most likely Will Smith. Uh, where does he, where would you kind of put him in, in the Sharks prospect pool there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think Danielson's kind of one of those guys that that really could fit any prospect pool. Like, mm-hmm. there's some guys that I look at and I'm like, wow, I really picture that guy in X team's jersey. I, like, yeah, Danielson's a guy that every team is always looking for. You're always looking for that kind of centerman. So um, I think he fits with the Sharks just as well as anyone in terms of a team that's looking to kind of um, – I feel like he could be an early piece – to make the Sharks roster when they really start kind of turning it over and the younger guys are really starting to get into the lineup mm-hmm. where I think because he brings so many other details other than the production that you're really comfortable just kind of penciling him in and, and giving him a good long look. So I think that's a real positive for the Sharks and other rebuilding teams where um, you know that you're not kind of stagnating development um, by putting him in. Uh, yeah. And he's also there. Um, you know, with the other young guys that kind of come up all together, um, but less dynamic than should they take Will Smith, Eklund, Bordalo, um, kind of not as shifty and, and maybe to the more casual fan, like quite honestly, not as exciting. Yeah. Um, but all the more important. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you see these guys, oh yes, they're not gonna, not the, not the sexiest names, but like just having a guy who the coach trusts and we know GMs and coaches, they love guys who they know exactly what they're going to get every time they put them over the boards. They don't have to worry about them. And that is, especially for a young guy, that's your path to success is just not be not messing up uh, going forward type of yeah. thing. And, yeah, um, it's totally true. So you you talk about his timeline. You think he could be a guy who maybe only spends like a year in the AHL and before he's maybe kind of starting to make an NHL impact and kind of just getting used to the the size and the speed of professional hockey. But just because you think of his details are that 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 good. Yeah, I mean, I kind of in terms of a timeline, like I think he goes back to Brandon next year, plays one more year in the WHL, obviously, because he's not going to be on the Sharks and he's in the CHL, can't go to the Barracuda. So one more year in Brandon, full year in the AHL. And then I think he's got a very decent shot at cracking an NHL lineup um, in that in that D plus three year. Makes sense. All right, guys, before we finish up with Ben, um, we talk about some of the smart scouting's rankings, which rankings maybe Ben didn't agree with, with his uh, constituents, um, kind of talk about their their thought process behind some of these guys. I uh, do want to thank you guys for making Locked on Sharks your first listen. Again, proudly a part of the Locked on Network, where we cover your team every day. And if you want to be an everyday or just follow along wherever you get podcasts or you can subscribe on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow with Brock Otten to talk about Quentin Musty and why he is such a tantalizing player, but 
Um, there's definitely some red flags with him, and he's going to be one of the, the most interesting players in the draft, kind of where he goes, where he could be a potential top 15 guy, where he could be an end-of-the-first-round type of guy. And there's going to be – all it takes is just one GM to kind of talk themselves into it. So uh, make sure you guys, again, follow along wherever you get podcasts, or you can subscribe to Locked on Sharks wherever, on YouTube as well. Let's Let's talk – smart scouting so I, I enjoy this time because you're getting all of uh, everybody's final rankings right smart scouting put those out we had elite prospects you know everybody's favorite uh internet scout is putting out their rankings so <laughs> um smart scouting put out theirs and i'll go through the top 10 super quick and then we'll kind of talk about some guys who at least one guy who really stood out for me for his ranking and then we'll talk about some guys that you maybe did disagreed with your constituents on. So um, number one, of course, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Mitchkoff, number three, Leo Carlson, number four, Zach Benson, number five, who I'm seeing, you're kind of seeing he, he's landing there a little bit more often than not. Uh, Future Shark, Will Smith, Oliver Moore at seven, um, Alex Sandine Pelica at number eight, which I enjoy. Gavin Brindley up at number nine. Um, love it. Love it for the short Kings. And then uh, Dmitry Simashev at number 10. But I want to start with uh, your guy ranked at number 20, David Reinbacker. So who's presumed to be a potential five, six, seven, at least in the top 10 pick. You guys have, have, have him at 20. Why do you hate David Reinbacker personally, Ben? <laughs> um, well, there's no personal hatred ever, of course. He's a first-round prospect, right? How could you say such a thing? Uh, uh, no, but I think... Honestly, it just comes down to kind of like I talked about with all the dynamic offensive players. This mm-hmm. it's not a hidden thing that this this class doesn't necessarily favor defensemen, right? Yep. So as much as we aren't necessarily as high on him as others, there's also just so many guys that we'd rather take ahead of him. And our thinking really comes down to just upside. Like yep. I think David Reinbacher is as a big of a guarantee as of a top four defenseman as there is in this draft class. If you want a right shot, reliable second pairing defenseman that can play on a second power play, can kill penalties, um, can be, you can trust them in, in any situation, close game, you name it. That's, that's David Reinbacher. But, you know, we, we really, our philosophy has always been, Defenses for nerds score points. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much that, but just just upside, upside trumps all, right? And I think that that's shown with our defensemen that we had ranked higher with Sandine Polika and and Dmitry Simashev, especially Simashev. Uh, Yeah, I think there's just there's just massive upside there. And then the next gap before we hit another defenseman is just filled with forwards that we feel have higher upside um, and don't have the risks to weigh them down. And ultimately we slotted Reinbacker in at 20 because at that point, maybe the risks kind of outweigh the upside. And at that point we're, we're really sold on, on just taking the floor and taking the sure thing. Uh, So would I be surprised if Montreal stepped up and took Reinbacker at five, a little bit, a tiny, tiny little bit, but not really Arizona at six and beyond that, wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I, I know he's been getting he's been getting a lot of love um, from from many other places, but that was kind of our reasoning behind it, uh, and and kind of our team philosophy. No, that makes sense. I mean, I uh, I 
had David uh, St. Louis on, he did his profile on him and, you know, he explained, I think at elite prospects, they look more for the defensive side of the game. And I think that's why they have him ranked. Uh, I believe it was number number nine uh, with right. their final ranking, you know, and I, I think I'm with the, the smart scouting team where, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've said it a million times, defenses for nerds go score points. And I think, you know, you look at, you know, you have four or three other defensemen ranked in, in front of him and Alexander Sandin Pelika, um, you know, Simashev. And then I think you have Guliev, who's, who's ranked at number 16 as well. And right. all those guys provide that potential. The key is potential. Uh, first, you know, first pairing offensive defenseman type of, of guy. And maybe the defense isn't quite there for some of those guys, but I think you can kind of live in a world where these guys are potential, you know, 60, 70 point players. Again, if everything goes right, um, and almost the Eric Carlson motto of just score a bunch of points and we'll figure out the defense on uh, fight with somebody else, right? Totally. Well, I think like a personal a personal thing for me with the draft has always just been like, go take big swings. And that's why you pay your scouts, like pay your scouts to go find these guys. Like I have always been a proponent of drafting for skill, like yep. always draft for skill, because when you're trying, you need skill, you also need some physicality and you need, and you need all these different things, but it's but easier to the find the most physical... expensive thing to find yeah. and paid for is skill when you need it. It's the most expensive in the free agent market. You overpay in salary, you overpay in term. And yep. when you're looking to get these guys via trade, it's expensive. So the, the only way you ever get these cornerstone franchise offensive producing players is through the draft. So take a swing on them and then go trade for Brett Pesci and go trade for <laughs> Noah Hannafin and round out your team that way, right? Like that's always been my philosophy. So that that's also just another way of kind of explaining what I what I just did. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's it's harder to find skilled players than it is to find big players. So uh, yeah. yeah, you could find big players. Uh, go find me some skilled players. So um, who were some guys where I, I know you guys had your big kind of round table? You guys all kind of you know put up your fights. Who were some guys that maybe you had a little ranked a little bit higher or lower than your constituents, and you think the rest of them are bozos for the way that they, uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, you don't, I know you off air, you called everybody a bozo. Uh, no, who, who are some guys <laughs> that you're kind of uh, a little puzzled by their ranking? Yeah, well, there's a couple guys from the Western Hockey League that I've been pounding the table on all year that no one's really backed me on, which is fine. Um, one, the first one, the first one. <laughs> The first one's Braden Yeager. I mean, okay. I know he started the season in the top 10 um, and he said he did. He had a disappointing season, um, but he's really plummeted down a lot of people's rankings, including ours. Uh, and I just I don't he, think he 26 would be that would be the shark yeah. if they went exactly from your ranking. So sorry. Yeah. So so with Yeager, I just what goes really unnoticed and something that I've picked up on just because I've watched so much of him throughout this season is he's just, he's so good at just making these small plays chips mm -hmm. up the wall, keeping plays alive, keeping offense in the zone, just like the, the small redirect on a pass, just, he keeps so many different plays alive. Um, and he's, he's such a threat with his shot um, that that I think it's it's going to be really hard for some teams to pass up on on him, and I, I'd be shocked if he fell past 15 um, in the real draft. And and he's another guy that I think has a really good chance to to play center ice in the NHL, um, which is extremely valuable. Um, yep. And and he 
he's another guy that's got details um, up and down the ice uh, in the defensive zone, especially and in the offensive zone, like I just like I just detailed. But it, it's really not a sexy thing. But the small area plays, it's he does such a good job um, keeping opportunities alive and generating so many extra scoring chances that other players just just wouldn't. And that's something like that's a testament to hard work and just not giving up giving up mm-hmm. on the play um with which translates at any level that's a between the ears thing and not a just because it's junior hockey thing right so yep. so that that that's one guy that i'm higher on than than the constituents at smart another guy is samuel Honzek, who i believe we had at 24 uh if I, or maybe 27 if i'm not he's mistaken. at 24 yep okay 24 yeah so he's another guy that that's just super well-rounded um mm-hmm. And I've been super impressed. He came, this is his first year over in North America. His rights were owned by the Vancouver Giants. Came over from Slovakia before this season. Started out a little slow, was adjusting to the smaller ice. And then unfortunately suffered that really brutal injury at the World Juniors um, where he got his leg sliced open all the way down to the bone, uh, which was really gnarly. Uh, So he he missed a bit of time, but... The production was there again on a kind of subpar, subpar Vancouver team, um, and and he's a guy that that doesn't get enough credit for his using his reach. I think that that's a big thing in in junior hockey is not everyone has the size advantage that he has over his peers, and he really pairs the the stick work and the reach with his really good agility and, and he's just so good at protecting the puck, especially in and around the crease um, and generates so much that way, which I think if he just continues to get stronger, fill out that body, mm-hmm. like that's a super, super important role. I think he could even play like a net front type position on the power play, kind of similar to like what John Tavares does. He's really strong below the goal line, really deceptive with, with setting up plays and, and really good at, at finding guys in tight. Like he'll feather passes through skates from below the goal line and, and different angles. And, and he's super creative there, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. So, so those are a couple guys that I'm, that I'm higher on that I've been banging the table on all year. Um, and then a all couple right, guys me, that I'm lower on. Give me one guy you're lower on. So one guy that, that, okay. Yeah. Yep. So I think the, the big one's Luca Pinelli for me. Okay. Um, so a lot of people I feel like have been getting drawn in with the skill um, mm-hmm. and just his ability to to kind of slip out of checks. Um, but I really haven't seen him do much with that. Like, mm-hmm. he's really good at pivoting around defenders in the corner and along the boards. But once he's in position to make a play, <laughs> after slipping a check, I haven't I haven't really seen too much. Um, and And for someone that's kind of smaller, smaller frame like that, you really need like those dynamic offensive qualities, kind of kind of like guys like Debrinket and Caulfield have, where they're either shoot first guys or really good skaters or dynamic puck handlers that can that can create in small areas um, and, and don't necessarily need to rely on the physicality. But Luca Pinelli is a guy where like when he's at his best with Ottawa, he's engaging physically in puck battles. He's got a good stick, kind of like Matthews, where he'll just kind of like drape in the back and he'll lift your stick and take the puck off you. And he's kind of gone that way. But but there's not really that that one thing that, that really pops for him offensively. So I have a really hard time projecting that to the NHL where I'm like, okay, if he's 
this small and not really engaging in this type of game. Yeah. What else is he doing? I like I don't really see him being able to control play on a power play. Um, the the puck handling skills aren't there. The shooting's not there. So I just I just have a really tough time with the projection there. So I I get why people are high on him. I there's there's intriguing tools there, but I just I don't see a way that it that it projects um, at the next level. So that kind of diminishes his value as an NHL prospect as opposed to an OHL player. Makes it's sense. Kind of right? the way I see it. Yeah, if you're that small guy, you have to have that like one elite thing that's going to translate for you going yeah. into the NHL. So we'll get you out here on these last two questions. So which guy in the top 10 are you a little like, would you be a little queasy about if your team drafted him? And don't say Ooh. Will Smith to make me cry. Uh, <laughs> Man. Um, I think maybe Ryan Leonard. Mm. I've heard heard is like Ryan Leonard might be better than Will Smith, but all right, make your Ryan Leonard. (laughs) To be honest with you, I'm equally as queasy about Ryan Leonard as I am Will Smith. I just picked Ryan Leonard for your sake. Okay. Um, I'm kind of a bit queasy about all those guys just because they've all really helped each other in so many different ways and complemented each other so well to kind of fill the holes. Like Gabe Perot is not a play driver. He's there to facilitate and he does an amazing job with that. Ryan Leonard's the big body. He can shoot. He'll get to the dirty areas and Will Smith's kind of like the Swiss army knife, really dynamic passer, skater, playmaker, uh, where they kind of all just complement each other really well. And they're all obviously not going to be on the same team playing on the same line once they get out of Boston college. Um, So I'm, I'm honestly a little bit nervous about, projecting of, of all of them um and Can i don't I think Gabe Perot goes in the top 10 will didn't smith. want to pick will smith for you so process of elimination <laughs> Can i offer you one combination of will smith and william eklund with daniel gushin's slight just slinging home uh shots right there um yes it's a small king line but uh that line would be really fun <laughs> that's my yeah no, totally and well i i'm not saying that individually yeah, they're not going to be really, really successful players. I, I just like it. I really wonder about the landing spot for yeah. all of them, which will, which will really dictate kind of more how I feel. No, um, it, it it makes sense going so, forward. Yeah, you you haven't seen those. We won't see those guys away from each other until they basically get to the NHL for for yeah. a good chunk of them. All right, um, final question: Where does Nate Danielson go in the draft? I will say number 19. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. So yeah. Bedard and had a mock to the, to the Chicago Blackhawks. That would be a pretty solid start. You, you're getting the generational talent and you're getting your future second line center there. Um, pretty good start. Uh, with Kurczynski on the back end, that's that's a pretty good start there. So, <laughs> uh, Ben, you said it all. Uh, where can the people find you? Yeah, on Twitter. My handle's on the screen. If you're listening on podcast b jordan nhl on twitter all things hockey i'm always discussing interacting with people all things prospects nhl you name it um, and then you can find my work on smatscouting.com we just put up our final rankings as we've discussed here um and then whl ohl players i've got reports up on a bunch of those guys so check them out uh ben i'll see you in like two weeks buddy <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it all right thanks ben all right, guys, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben Jordan from Smart Scouting. Uh, make sure you guys are following along with Smart Scouting and what they've been doing 
following along Ben as well. Um, but if the Sharks can grab Nate Danielson with pick 26, I think you're going to feel really, really good about Will Smith, Danielson down the middle. You throw him B-Sid from last year, and all of a sudden that center position and the prospect pipeline looks way better than it did six months ago to a year ago type of, of situation. So, um, you know, I don't know if Danielson's there, but the draft's weird and you never know who's going to be available for you. So, um, like I said, we'll be back tomorrow to talk Quentin Musty with Brock Otten. Um, so make sure you guys follow along wherever you get podcasts and you can watch on YouTube as well. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Locked on Sharks, especially going to want to follow the Instagram account. Uh, going to be in Nashville next week, so you're going to probably want to see some behind-the-scenes footage. Um, I'm going to be posting them to the Locked on Sharks Instagram account, so make sure you guys are following along there. Um, you can also so follow me on Twitter at myfryhole and until tomorrow. Bye friends.